0: Welcome to Coffee, Tea or Something Stronger, the podcast for anyone who writes. At Coffee, Tea or Something Stronger, we recognize that you're not just one kind of writer. Perhaps you're banging out a novel between copywriting gigs, or maybe you're a blogger with a sideline in poetry. Whatever type or types of writing you do, our goal at Coffee, Tea or Something Stronger is to give you the shot of inspiration you need to finish that novel, submit that thesis or launch that freelance career. I'm your host, Claire Lynch. And for this episode, I talk to John McCartan, Jan taught English in Sweden, France, Malaysia and the UK before becoming a publisher, developing and co-authoring guides to English grammar and vocabulary. Jan was also closely involved in developing the spoken word sections of a large database known as a corpus that's used for research into the English language. In this episode, she explained to me what a corpus is and how both language learners and native speakers can use one to ease the writing process. That's coming right up. I'd like to start a little by talking a little bit about the corpus, a plural corpora. So just let's start with a basic question. What is a corpus and why do we need them?
1: Well, a corpus is a very large database of language and there are different types of corpus or corpora. So, for example, if you were a journalist, you might want a corpus of newspaper language. So you could put into your corpus all the newspapers that you were interested in and hold them in a database. I think the easiest way to conceive of a corpus is to think of the internet. The internet is a large repository of language and how do we find out what's in that? Well we can use a search engine and type in a word or phrase and get different hits, Um, and then we can click on each of those hits and see what is in that um, section of the internet. A corpus is very similar, so we can take a large collection of, say, newspaper language or conversations, and we can type in a word or a phrase into our search window, and then get Lots and lots of different examples of different people from different newspapers, in the case of a newspaper corpus, or conversations, in the case of a conversation corpus, different examples of that word or phrase being used. And you can use software to analyse the language. So, for example, you can find out what are the most frequent words in conversation. Do you know what the most frequent word in conversation is? I don't. Tell me. It's I.
0: Oh, because I've just used
1: it. (laughs) Because because we're always talking about ourselves. Oh, we're so
0: egocentric.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But more importantly, when you look at why we're using I, we're using I because of expressions like I mean, I think, I don't know. So I comes very high up. The frequency list because we're using it a lot in those expressions. The most frequent word in written English is... I've no idea. The. Oh, of course. The definite article, the. This more grammary word comes right to the top. The is sometimes the top word in conversation too. It depends on, on the corpus you get. There are little variations in frequency. But essentially, um, they give you a general guide as to the most frequent words and also phrases in English. So, software like this is used by researchers to be able to describe the language in grammars and vocabulary books and to be able to use that information to teach it to learners of English.
0: And so, it sounds like a huge undertaking taking to create a corpus. Uh, how would you go about uh, assembling a database like that? What, what were the challenges that you faced?
1: Well, in the old days, for written text, uh, books had to be scanned manually <laughs> um, by people putting them on scanners and then turning the page and scanning Scanning Sounds again. incredibly time It was intensive. incredibly time-intensive. Um, But, of course, now in these electronic digital ages, it's a lot easier to assemble written texts because so much is available electronically. So that can be very easily collected within the software. Conversation and, and interactive kinds of speaking are more difficult because that requires people to have tape recorders of some kind, recording devices. Again, it's a lot easier now with phones having such high quality recording um, equipment built into them. So you have to record and then someone has to transcribe the conversations with all the overlaps and people talking at the same time and
0: and the ums and ahs the ums
1: and the ahs and the grammatical mistakes in inverted commas all the things that people say and that's very very time consuming that's that's um for every hour of talk we estimate it takes about 14 hours for someone to transcribe it Wow. Even if they're a trained um, person, because, because of the overlaps, the fact that people talk together, the fact that there are so many little interjections, mm-hmm. the ums and the ahs, as you, as you say. So, so they are transcribed and, and turned into text, if you like, and then that text is stored within the database. So how
0: do you decide what goes in the database and what doesn't?
1: That's a very good question. What, ideally, you collect a corpus for a reason. Right. So, for example, if, um, like I and my co-authors, we wanted in our materials to be able to teach people the skills and strategies of conversation. So, therefore, we went to collect a corpus of conversation that was representative of the kind of, talk that we wanted to be able to teach our students to perform um, adequately so so you start with um, not so much a research question if you like but with a, a set of aims in mind we wanted to be able to describe conversation to see what people do in conversation and therefore Ergo, we had to go and, and get people to converse. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's why and that's how you decide what you're going to put in your corpus. Um, for teaching the writing sections, for example, um, we had a, a course recently where we were teaching academic writing. We looked then at an academic written corpus of essays, books, research papers and and so on. So you don't use an academic written corpus to teach people how to speak and vi- vice versa. So you start out with your aims in mind. that's that's how you decide what you're going to put in.
0: And presumably a, a lot of this material that you're feeding into the database, um, it's not necessarily the best examples of academic writing, but it's the most representative.
1: Yes, I mean, there there have been um, a couple of, of corpora as, as assembled and they've chosen the, not necessarily the elite students, but um, the top two or three levels of students because they wanted to get an example of, of what good, good writing was. Um, I don't know of any corpora where people have fed in bad bad writing. <laughs> so, um, but in terms of, of conversation, I think your, your, your question might be better posed with, re, with regard to conversation because in terms of writing, we know what good writing is and we know, um, we know it when we see it. In terms of the spoken language, we think we know what is is good conversation, we think we know how people speak, and we think we know how people speak correctly, but that isn't always the case. Um, so to give you a very simple e- example, um, we are taught uh, in writing that after there is, we should put something singular. So... Um, There is um, a computer on this table. We are taught that when we say, when we have something plural, we should say, there are. There are a lot of people in this room, but when you actually transcribe conversations and you look at what most people say, that most people say there is followed by a plural. So they would say there's a lot of people in this room, there's a lot of reasons you shouldn't do that. Um, So with regard to conversation we put in everything and from the corpus we can see what people actually do, not what we think they should do. Writing is a little bit different, Um, writing has more formal uh, rules that need to be observed so that you can be perceived as a good writer.
0: has this work that you've done on the on various corpora given you some insights into the differences of register between mm. written and spoken English
1: yeah I, yes quite, quite quite a lot I mean there are different if you compare for example conversation with right business writing writing reports or or whatever conversation usually has more than one participant so there's a lot lot of back and and, and forth lots of ums and ahs and yes no and oh, i see and right and oh really these little to- tokens that we use to react to what someone is, to is saying oil the wheels of conversation to oil the wheels of conversation to keep it going to establish the relationship which is something that doesn't happen in other kinds of talk For example, we're having an interview right now and you're nodding at me but you're not saying very much because that would make the recording difficult. But if there weren't a recording, I'm sure you would be saying a lot more than you are now. Mm -hmm. So conversation has a lot of back and forth. It moves, topics change. People go off on another topic, then they come back to their original topic. And it also changes genre if you like so we might be having a discussion about something and someone will tell a joke and then we go back to our dis- discussion or you might offer somebody a cup of tea in the middle of it so it ch- it changes in different ways whereas writing tends to be more unitary and you don't have those other voices so if you're writing um, sales have been disappointed disappointing this year in your report you don't have your readers saying, "Oh really is that right <laughs> um you 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 don't have that instant feedback it's more more unitary um you don't have the the f- the feedback and it has to be more coherent if you like um and as a result, sentences tend to be longer than spoken sentences. Um, and they're more um, they're constructed in a more complex manner and, and there are, there are gram- grammatical items that we find in writing that we don't find as much in mm-hmm. speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, they're the same language, but there are differences of frequency of, in, in terms of the types of grammar we find in speaking and writing.
0: And on the on the topic of writing, um, how can people? Use corpora to get better at writing um,
1: and are there any ones that people
0: that are freely available that people can use?
1: There are quite a lot of, of corpora on uh, on the internet um, so if you put into a search engine um, for example corpus of Business English, you probably f- find some um, examples. Um, if you're interested in American English, there's the Corpus of Contemporary American English. And if you look at that, it's the COCA um, Corpus, um, as, as we call it. Um, you'll find all kinds of different types of English within that. If you're interested in Academic English, um, there's the British Academic Spoken English Corpus, BASE, B-A-S-E, at the University of Warwick. And they also have a written um, corpus as well. That's British. Staying on the academic theme, um, there are American corpora of academic English, um, one at the University of Michigan, my case, M I C A S E. And I believe they have a, a written um, corpus there too. And there's also the British National corpus which is very freely available and again you'll find spoken and written English in there and you can have a look and see what kind of of English that you're interested in great and
0: how might how might you actually use one of those corpuses? what sort of problems might you be seeking to solve or, or questions that you might have answers to
1: well, one thing, if you're a writer, um, a, nov- a novice writer, that you can do is corpora give you access to lots of representative samples of language. So, for example, if you want to find out how to do your introduction to something, if you look up introduction or in this report, little phrase like that, in this report, you will find way that lots of other writers have introduced their writing. So you can find examples of how to do things. If you want to know you can't quite remember how to describe a table or a graph or refer to it, you can look up the word graph or figure or table and you should look not just at the, the word but the greater um, context to see how people are using that word and you can see things like as can be seen in figure 3.2 or the table here illustrates that blah 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 so you can see how to do things that's that's one very useful thing perhaps um, because I'm I'm always interested in the language the For me, the the key thing about corpora is it shows you how people use words and phrases. So as a learner, you might not know what the preposition is after a verb or a a noun or an adjective. So if you look up that verb or noun or adjective and see what comes one word to the right of that, you can see what are the frequent um, prepositions. Or you can find out which is more frequent, so for example, people often think, oh, what should I use compared to or compared with? And you can look them both up and see which is more more frequent, or see if there's any difference between them. So looking at language, looking at how people use language, I think is is for me the most valuable thing that you would get out of of a corpus.
0: Is this episode inspiring you to be a better writer? If so, visit my blog, goodcopybadcopy.co.uk for a wealth of writing tips and to claim your free copy of my ebook, the 200 writing tips that'll get you writing like a pro. And if you're enjoying the show, do remember to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. Your support really means a lot to me because it helps get the show noticed. Now, back to the interview. And would it mostly be people using an English corpus whose first language isn't English or can native English speakers benefit from using an English corpus as
1: well? That's a very good question. Um, My own background is in teaching people whose first language is is not English but um, I use corpora all the time to see what would be a good way of expressing something. So I use corpora of English to to help me with my English, you know. If there's something that I've never done before, for example, write a reference for someone, or I haven't done it very much, I can look at a corpus to see how other people do it, how other people start style and, and phrase things. Not to copy it, um, but just to see what is the kind of thing that they do. So I think corpora can be used by non-native speakers and native speakers of any of that language. Um, to help them um, improve, compare with their own style, and so on.
0: And it sounds like it, to some extent, to
1: overcome writer's block. And to overcome writers' writer's block, yes, which is the curse of of, uh, <laughs> of all writers. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I think that's a really good good uh, point.
0: I mean, I do think. I mean, no one ever really taught me how to write. I learnt to write just by reading other people, and uh, yeah, mimicking what they did. And so it sounds like a a corpus is a great shortcut to doing that.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) A much
0: more focused way of doing that.
1: Absolutely. I mean, imagine if if you had to look through a thousand books on your shelf to read a thousand examples of something. um, Apart from being incredibly tedious it would be exhausting just lifting them off the shelf and putting them back again <laughs> but you have all of that on your computer and you have the, you have each example in a single line which you can then click on and read more of if you need to be much yeah. more
0: targeted
1: absolutely
0: yeah um as well as being a, a writer uh, yourself uh, as an editor and a publisher You've, I'm sure, worked with other writers. So what advice would you give to writers who are seeking to get their writing published? What, what makes a publisher want to work with, take on, promote a writer?
1: Right. I guess it depends what kind of writer you are. Um, I've worked in educational publishing um, all, all of my life and I would always advise a writer before you do anything to get to know a publisher um, and to try and make contact with an individual at that publisher who publishes in your area um, to find out what it is that they are looking for and to find out as much as you can how that person, how that company, views the kind of writing you're doing—is it something that has a great future? Do they have any thoughts about how it should develop, how you should approach it, and so on? So, I would—I would say—never, ever send a proposal for a book or um, a- an online project or anything to a company without making contact first, and getting to know that person, and trying to see if they would invite you to send in a proposal. I'd say that would be the first thing. In terms of fiction publishing, if you, if you want to write fiction, I think there are you have two routes there. Most fiction writers are published by the major publishing houses through an agent. Unfortunately, because it means that you have to go through a third mm-hmm. party, but that agent can help you as a writer and help develop your manuscript before you get to the publishing houses. Yeah. Or you can publish it yourself online. Um, At the uh, Fifty Shades of Grey story. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you can you can do it do it that way. Um, and some people succeed as as uh, as she did,
0: yeah, so it sounds like um if you aren't going to go down that but I suppose even then you're going to want to have a sort of relationship with a potential audience, but it sounds like it's all about networking and relationship building and not sort of going in cold,
1: yes, yes, in terms of of working with the publishing houses, I would say that's the best, yeah, thing. because they they plan what they're doing. Um, They have a clear idea of what they're doing, and that may be what what you're you're thinking of, but I can't think of any um, project at all that was published in the 15 years or so that I worked in-house that came in completely cold. Um, It might have come in via a contact that we had who we trusted, somebody that we knew, somebody that we had met at a conference or on a on an editorial visit to a school but I can't think of any anyone who just walked through the door sent a manuscript that landed on a desk and it was so blew you book. away that yeah yeah I, ca- I can't think of one one yeah. example really.
0: Yeah. So. so the message is get yourself out to the conferences and network network
1: yeah which, absolutely which is actually quite hard because
0: a lot of writers are introverts so I think deal with the introversion and Force
1: yourself. Yes, for, force yourself, and just just try and chat chat to people. Chat mm. to the salespeople because they know what, um, what the what the market is mm-hmm. for your particular mm-hmm. book, and they're often a very good introduction to the editorial right. side um, because the salespeople are out in the world more than the editorial yeah. people, so. Yeah. At conferences, don't feel you have to talk to the editorial people. Talk to anyone in the company that you can, can find, and just get to know them and say a little bit about yourself and establish a relationship that Great way. Great advice. And presumably,
0: those salespeople might actually give you your ideas for your next book because they know what
1: exactly like at first Exactly, and they and they will tell you what. Um, what the reactions are to to their, their materials i mean they won't tell you if there's any really negative reactions obviously but um but in my experience they they're quite they're quite useful for finding out what what teachers think mm-hmm. because they are a very good conduit mm-hmm. between teachers and editors and writers right so
0: great great piece of advice um so uh, I want to finish off by just exploring your own habits and processes as a writer (laughs) with a little bit of a sort of um, quickfire round. So what fuels your writing, coffee, tea, or something stronger?
1: Um, Tea, then coffee, then tea. Okay.
0: (laughs) You alternate your sources of caffeine. Yes. Uh, When do you like to write? Are you more of a lark or an owl?
1: I am a lark. So, a slightly lazy lark. I'm not <laughs> a. I I can get up at six in the morning and write if I if I have a deadline. But, um, comfort wise, I'd start around nine, mm-hmm. and um, I tend to do what I call the text production in the morning, and in the afternoon I do editing. Kinds of tasks, or I work a lot with a co-author, so I might um, read um, a co-author's work and and edit that because I've I've learnt about myself that I work well on my own stuff in the morning, and in the afternoon I work better on on a different kind of task that doesn't need me to. I won't say think as much because you're th- you're still thinking, but it doesn't require me to produce. Yes,
0: that origination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so when you are originating, producing, are you a planner or a plunger? Do you draft a detailed outline, or do you dive right in? Um, <clears throat>
1: that's a good question. I I think um, I'm a I'm a I'm a bit of both. Is if there's a word, I'm a a plangean. Uh, a <laughs> If I can combine <laughs> the words. Um, if you're writing a, an edu- educational textbook, you have pretty much decided your, your topic and your um, target language that you're h- hoping to teach. Having said that... Um, we're not afraid to change our plan if we find something else would work better. Mm-hmm. So although you know roughly what you're doing, sometimes your initial thoughts and plans work out well. Sometimes you think, you know what, this would be better if we did it another way. And I th- I think I'm the same if I have to do more formal academic writing as as well. You have your your main headings um, but i'm never afraid to change the plan so i'm a, i'm a bit of both i'm a bit of both and i think for me writing is is sort of iterative you 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 try it out you you learn something from that and you apply it to what you're ne- you're next doing so what comes out at the end might not be what you thought was going to come out when you started, but usually it's it's better for having been flexible. Yeah, I think that plunger is a <laughs>
0: term is a good way of describing <clears throat> the writing process. Yeah, uh, would you describe your desk as clear
1: or cluttered? Um, it is not clear. It is occasionally cluttered, and most of the time it's it's a bit of both. Okay. Music or silence? Absolutely silence. I can't work with music on in the background. Absolutely not. If the radio is on in a different room, I can block that out. Music I can't block out. So silence. Okay.
0: And who's your favourite writer?
1: Oh! Um, as a fiction. Whatever. Writer. Any genre. Any genre that's um, I love the novels of Rose Tremaine, anything she's written, I've really enjoyed. Um, and I love the Irish writer John McGahan, and Colin Tabine is another one of my favorites so. Those three, joint joint third players. Okay. I'm sure there are others, but, um, but those <laughs> are the three. We've been very generous
0: that, in mentioning three. <laughs>
1: those are the three that come
0: to mind. <laughs> yeah. uh, finally, can we end with uh, your best writing tip? Just do it. <laughs> Just do it. <laughs> um, don't
1: feel you have to start at the beginning. If you have different sections that you know you're going to have to do, start on the section that you know you're going to be able to write something in and do it to gain confidence don't feel you have to write chronologically just write write the bit that appeals to you most at that time and that you feel you're going to be um best equipped to do at that time and then go and fill in the other bits don't sit there don't sit there fretting
0: great great advice Well, thank you, Jean. It's been absolutely fascinating learning about you and your work. So thank you so much for agreeing to
1: talk to me today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.
0: If you enjoyed the show, remember to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher or wherever you listen. And if you could leave a review while you're there, that would really help me get the show noticed. Visit goodcopybadcopy.co.uk for free tips and advice on writing and the writing life. I've been your host, Claire Lynch. Goodbye till the next episode.